Entrepreneurs, business leaders, and professionals who seek excellence. Bringing the business classroom to you. It's the Business Builders Show on the Business Builders Media Network. Here's Marty Wolf. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Business Builders Show with Marty Wolf, the show for entrepreneurs, business owners, and business leaders. I'm Marty Wolf, your host for the Business Builders Show, which is a production of Business Builders Media. You can get all our shows and podcasts from many other great podcasters at businessbuildersmedia.com, where we give entrepreneurs and business leaders the tools they need to have their voices heard. That's businessbuildersmedia.com. My special guest with me today is Tom Godell. Hi, Tom. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Marty. I appreciate your having me on. Oh, this is going to be a fun one. Let me say this right at the very beginning um, to my audience, because quite frankly, Tom, we've had a lot of people on talking about leadership. But let me say this right at the very beginning. Tom's book, which is the title is The Four Fields of Leadership, How People and Organizations Can Thrive in a Hyper-Connected World. Folks, let me tell you, this is a very different and deeper look at the topic of leadership. I feel it's a very unique and insightful look at this very, very important topic of leadership. So with that being said, I want our folks to pay even more attention. Let me do a brief introduction of Tom. He is the president and founder of Linden Leadership Incorporated. Tom serves as a coach and facilitator for senior executives managers, and teams in organizations ranging from small family-owned businesses to Fortune 500 global enterprises. He conducts workshops in field leadership and writes widely. His training has touched over 20,000 people, and today we're going to touch some more. So, Tom, congratulations on a great book, very insightful. Let's start this way. I was somewhat surprised by the way the book started, Tom. And at the very beginning, you talk about science and the age of reason. Why did you start there? And tell me more about that. Thanks, Marty. That's a great question. And I uh, actually get that question fairly often because it is not the way most business books uh, begin. The age of reason was an absolutely remarkable, astonishing period in the human race that transformed what human beings could do and what they could become on the planet. It gave us science, it gave us technology, it gave us uh, a lot of philosophy and deep insights into how the world works. The outcome of that was what I call in the book, mechanical thinking. Mechanical thinking is the way of looking at the world that says that the world is like a machine and human beings are like machines. Um, Scientists call it reductionism, the idea that if you can reduce something to its parts and understand the parts, you can understand the whole. It worked really well in some ways for about 400 years. Mm. Uh, It gave us all of the machines that we developed. It gave us the technology. It gave us our insights into uh, medicine and health. It gave us our understanding um, on a huge scale of the universe and on a tiny scale of how molecules and atoms work. 
to be able to do that, uh, philosophers and scientists had to put a few things aside. When the age of reason began, people lived before, before the thinkers like Galileo and Descartes. People often saw the world as very mysterious and magical, and they, they lived with magical thinking that was not based on accurate observation of the world, and it created a lot of chaos. Um, the emotional world fits into that. Mm. So people like Descartes, Galileo, other great thinkers of that time that gave us the age of reason set aside the world of spirituality and emotions in order to look at what they called the world objectively. Mm. What we're seeing today is that doesn't work so well anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, I think that if you look at the last 30 or 40 years of insight into leadership and organizational culture, one of the things you can see is that there's been an enormous spiritual vacuum that's emerged. Mm-hmm. That we, you know, leaders are, are look, they look very much, people look to them for what are you going to do and what are you going to get done? They don't look at them as how are you going to be and what kind of presence are you going to create in the world? Uh, in my work with leaders uh, across many different kinds of organizations, what I saw was that the old ways of thinking of leadership were not working anymore. And I really got deeply into the question of, at its essence, what is leadership and, and what is organizational culture? Mm-hmm. Prior to this work, I, I was a biochemist. <laughs> and okay. so as a, as a scientist... I wanted to find what we call first principles or unifying principles. And those were the kinds of questions that I was in that gave rise to the book. And I thought, you know, I should really start with where all of this, both the great things human beings have accomplished and the problems we're facing today, where did, where did all those start? And I think that was with the age of reason. Hmm. Yeah, it makes sense to me. I was, I was speaking with one of my clients the other day and, and we weren't talking just about, you know, exactly what you're talking about, but, we were talking about human relations and connectivity and all that kind of stuff. And so out of the blue, I just said, well, you know, I think like total quality management, it was, it definitely was needed. It was definitely an application, but we may have gone too far on some of these things. And, and, and you can't take everything down to every clear step. Uh, again, these are my words, not Tom's words, but what do you think of my, my comments to my client? Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right on. Um, early in my career working with organizations, uh, I did a lot of work around things like TQM, information engineering, enterprise architecture. And one of the ahas that I had in that work was we can design the logic of these systems to work perfectly well. And then when you step back and look at how the overall organization is performing, it's often not doing so well. Yeah. So clearly there were missing dimensions that things like TQM and information engineering were missing. Yeah, absolutely. So l- give us your definition of leadership. I like it. So uh, tell us what you say in the book, and then uh, we'll go a little deeper on that. Yeah, thanks. So one of the things that I looked at was if we look across the board at all the different ways leadership manifests and all the different things that are written about it, And of course, as a scientist, I go back to nature often, and you can see examples in nature of systems that clearly have leadership. If you look at a a beehive, 
Mm-hmm. Clearly, there's an amazing organization and order to how the bees conduct themselves. And if you study individual bees, you won't understand that. You really have to study the hive as a whole. Mm-hmm. The same is true of, of uh, flocks of starlings. So, And there are human systems that I talk about in the book as well that exhibit that, that kind of what we call emergent behavior. So the definition I finally landed on is... Leadership is any means by which two or more people develop the ability to cooperate and take collective action. Say it so, again. Say yeah. it again. <laughs> yeah. Leadership is any means by which two or more people develop the ability to cooperate and take collective action. Hmm. I love it. Makes makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Um, Go ahead, Tom. Well, I was going to say, there's a couple of things that are startling as you start to examine that definition. And one of them is that it does not put leadership in the, uh, as an attribute of a leader. Mm -hmm. There are systems that don't have leaders that exhibit what I call leadership. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a great insight. I, as I was reading, I think, yeah, no, that's, that's right on. That's a great, great insight. Um, So, so let's so the book is the four fields of leadership, how people and organizations can thrive in a hyperconnected world. So I guess we should define or what you call the four fields of leadership. Why don't we mention the four of them? You can give us a brief uh, summary, if you will, on each. And then I want to get into specific questions on each of them. Are you OK with that? Absolutely. That's great. That's a great path. Good. So, and I'm just going to go back quickly to what I said before about the the spiritual vacuum and looking at what seemed to be missing in a lot of uh, approaches to leadership was the question of what I I would look at, I would encounter great leaders, people who really exemplified what I would think of as great leadership. And of course, you step back and go, why are they great leaders and why are other people managers rather than leaders or leaders, but not great leaders? And there were certain capabilities that I saw over and over again in the people that really exhibited what I thought were great leadership. One of the capabilities was the ability to self-manage. And and what I mean by that is they could actually manage effectively what I call their inner state. Mm -hmm. Your inner state is how do you feel, what's happening to you physically in your body, and what's going on in your thoughts. Mm -hmm. Great leaders could manage their inner state well so that they would create a, a true leadership presence with others. They were able to build great relationships with other people. They cared about other people. People knew they cared about them, and the quality of their relationships was always rich, compassionate, and inspiring. They were able to organize teams to become passionate collectively around a shared purpose, and to have great relationships within the team. And then at whatever scope you wanted to call the enterprise that these people led, they were able to really look at, deeply look at what is the inner state of our organization, meaning how is our culture, how do people trust each other, do they, do they behave in ways that we believe are ethical and moral, and, and are they effective in getting their work done? So those were the qualities that I consistently saw, and those are actually the four fields. Mm-hmm. So the first field is the field of self. How do I manage my inner state so that I give rise to what I call a leadership presence? My leadership presence is the field in which people experience me. And by the way, I believe the fields are real, just as a magnetic field is is real. Mm -hmm. You know, we've all had that experience of 
walking into a meeting and immediately knowing that something had happened, something was great or something was awful. We've encountered friends on the street and we right away know something's up before anyone says anything. And that's just our reading the fields. Mm-hmm. So the first field is the field of self, which is the one that, that comes out of my inner state and creates the presence and how other people experience me. When two fields come together, they form what I call the interpersonal field. That's the field in which my relationship with this other person exists. To the extent the fields of self are healthy and grounded and centered and open, you will have a healthy interpersonal field. To the extent there's something off or distorted in the field of self, the interpersonal field will carry some of that distortion. The next field is the field of teams, which is composed of all of the individuals on the team and all of the interrelationships among them. That becomes much more complex and subtle. And then the final field is the enterprise field, which is the entire organization, all of the fields of self, the interpersonal fields and the fields of teams in the organization. So those are the four fields. And in each of the fields, there are disciplines for how one must conduct oneself to create a healthy, vibrant, thriving field. Yeah, let's let's go deeper on the field of self, which is it, it appears to be foundational. Um, actually, that took up a bunch of pages of the book and you went deep in that. Um, and I want to go deeper on this. So you talk about in the book how managing your inner state means managing three minds and the core communications loop that connects them. Three minds and the core communications loop that connect them. You talk about analytical, emotional, and physical. Go deeper on that, okay, Tom? Absolutely, yeah, it's a great question. And it goes back to actually your first question. You said, why did I start with science and the age of reason? I think many business books uh, choose not to talk much about the science underneath them because they want to get right to the business stuff. Mm. I think sometimes that's a disservice to readers. I think readers are interested, and I, th- I think having an understanding of the science underneath the, re- the, the practices and the disciplines gives a lot more uh, appreciation of why they're so important. Mm-hmm. So... Th- When we looked at what composes the inner state of a human being, what I kept coming back to is we really have three sorts of experiences in our lives, in our inner lives. The experience of my body. What are the physical sensations that my body is experiencing in the moment? And I like to say that our bodies are our first responders. They respond before any other part of ourselves to any experience we have. The second mind, and by the way, the, bo- the physical mind runs really fast. It's a really fast responder. The emotional mind is also a really fast responder. It comes right on the heels of the, of the physical mind. So the emotional mind is, what do we start generating out of the physical sensations? Uh, am I happy? Am I sad? Am I frightened? Am I excited? Am I fearful? Am I uh, compassionate? Am I confused? So the emotional and physical happen very, very quickly. The analytical mind is where we do all of our logical reasoning. That's really the mind that was used throughout the age of reason. It's the mind that can take things apart, reduce them down to their elements, and then study those elements. It runs quite slowly compared to the physical and emotional minds. Our physical and emotional minds run somewhere between 30 and 70 times faster than our analytical mind. 
the legacy of the age of reason was we're going to ignore the physical and emotional minds because they can lead us into all kinds of mm-hmm. spiritual questions, emotional questions, voodoo. And back in those days, that created chaos. Right. So they set all that aside and said, we're just going to use the analytical mind. You asked about the core communication loop. So this notion yeah. of, the, the notion of communication loops is fundamental to the book, as, as you know. When I say a hyperconnected world, I'm talking about the vast numbers of connections that exist among human beings today. Any one of us can be almost instantaneously connected in video and audio to almost any other human being on the planet. Organizations today are competing with little mom and pop shops halfway around the world, and they're competing with mega corporations that exist in different countries. Hyperconnectivity leads to enormous complexity. And hyperconnectivity arises out of the communication loop. So as the internet internet has arisen, Mm -hmm. we've created more and more communication loops. A communication loop is scientists call them feedback loops. I say that in living systems, they're communication loops because feedback loops in living systems happen through communication. So communication loops, that notion starts in the field of self. My body, my emotions, and my analytical mind are always in conversation with each other. Often I'm not noticing that conversation, but if you think about a time when you've had an experience where you were triggered maybe with fear or anger, and you really relive that experience, you'll notice there was a physical sensation, there were emotions, and there were thoughts, usually in that order. Mm-hmm. And they feed back on each other. So an example I use in the book is I'm driving down the street and someone runs a stop sign or a red light and I almost hit them. Before my analytical mind is working, my foot is on the brake, my heart's racing, and I'm angry and frightened. Much later, my analytical mind comes in. But as my analytical mind comes in, I start making up stories about what an idiot or a jerk that person was, which makes me more angry, which makes my body more tense. So the ability to regulate your inner state is really the ability to go, this is not a useful state for me to be in. I need to do some diaphragmatic breathing and get physically centered. I need to accept the circumstances that I'm in so that my emotions aren't out of control and I need to silence the chatter in my mind, my thoughts. And those are really the three practices of the three minds. And this is all about effective or quality leadership. Again, my guest is Tom Goodell. It's G-O-O-D-E-L-L, Tom Goodell. His book is The Four Fields of Leadership, How People and Organizations Can Thrive in a Hyperconnected World. Uh, You can go to his website to learn more, and that is lindenleadership.com. L-I-N-D-E-N, lindenleadership.com. Tom Goodell is also on LinkedIn if you want to connect with him there. I've said at the very beginning of this discussion that this is a different and deeper look at the topic of leadership. If I can add this to it, this is not something, my opinion, Tom, this is not a book you're going to sit down and read in an hour and say, I got it. (laughs) This, This is just like you point out in the book. To become an effective quality leader and to do these things, this is not necessarily easy. This takes work. 
This takes study. This takes practice. So I truly appreciate the unique perspective that you come, you know, in the book, Tom. So um, let, let me move on to something else. I know I'm going to hit your sweet spot here, and it's mine too, because I, I, you, re, you have referred to the spiritual dimension, uh, the emotional part of things, emotional intelligence, all those kinds of things. Talk to me more about the role in terms of leadership of self, of mindfulness and meditation, Talk to me more about that and just how important do you think that is? Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Marty. Um, Yes. If you think about what I've said about the fields and what we call field leadership, I often say everything begins in the field of self. If my field of self is not centered, grounded, present, open, and connected, then what I bring into my interpersonal fields that I create with other people will carry whatever distortion there is in my field of self. If there's distortion in my interpersonal fields with other people, that will carry into any fields of teams that I form with other groups of people around a team. And to the extent that any of that is present in an organization or an enterprise, it will carry into the field of the enterprise as a whole. So the beginning question, and you're right, I spend more of the book on the field of self than any place else because it is so vital that leaders get that right. Mm -hmm. And because the other fields emerge naturally from it. What I've seen with so many leaders, when they really get the, the centered field of self down and they do that well, their relationships organically, naturally emerge in a healthy way and their teams emerge organically in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of practices that people can use for what we call centering. The most ancient and I believe well-studied practice is meditation. Um, Meditation, one of the reasons that I find meditation to be such a rich practice is because I actually believe when done well, it centers you in all three minds. There are practices around centering in the body. Every athlete, every performing artist learns breathing practices. Mm-hmm. And we, we teach breathing practices as well. But centered breathing is actually a part of a meditation practice as well. The first thing my first meditation teacher taught me was how to breathe. Mm-hmm. It was astonishing to me to realize how poorly I was breathing. I thought I did it pretty well. Mm-hmm. So meditation is a practice that actually can get you centered in all three minds, and it can calm down that core communication loop. What I like to say is it's really important to have your emotions and have your physical sensations. It's also important that your emotions and physical sensations don't have you. We've all heard the expression, um, 80 or 90% of communication is nonverbal. Well, if it's not happening verbally, which is up in the analytical mind, then it's happening in the emotional and physical minds. And if we're not tending to those and taking care of them well, 80 to 90% of what's happening in communication isn't being tended to very well. So meditation is a practice that I introduce in virtually all of the organizations I work with. I teach it to the executives that I coach. Uh, and in many organizations that I've worked with, it becomes a routine practice. And mm-hmm. people will, you know, I've, I had someone just the other day say, you know, I'm 
kind of nervous that someone's going to walk by my office and think, oh, he's sitting in there and he's not doing anything. <laughs> yeah. I think give it a little time and sure. people are going to walk past your office and say, oh, isn't that great? He's meditating. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Uh, I, well, I'm 100% behind what you're saying. And uh, I, I practice myself uh, meditation, not to your level, I'm sure, but I do the best I can. I also teach some of it. I, I want to make the point here, Tom, uh, that you make in the book and that I'd like to make sure we get the point across, that this is being applied more and more and more in many, many, many big companies. Am I accurate there? Yeah, Marty, that's great. Um, when I started introducing these practices about 25 years ago, it was really a struggle. And sometimes people looked at me cross-eyed like, you're going to have people meditating in an investment bank? Um, come on. Yeah. Today, I think probably most of the largest corporations in the world have uh, openly endorsed and have programs on meditation I've worked with a number of organizations that set aside spaces where they have chairs and zafus mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and yoga mats. And they say, this is the place where people can come and do their centering practices. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that, that if we go out all the way out to the enterprise field, um, you know, as I said, um, we have the three minds in the field of self. We also have the three disciplines, three disciplines in the field of self are awareness, choice, and accountability. So am I sufficiently aware of myself and through that awareness, accurately aware of other people and situations to be grounded and centered and open from that place? Do I see the possible choices and do I make the most effective ones? And do I take accountability for the results of those choices? If you go to the enterprise field, those disciplines repeat. So in the interpersonal field, the disciplines are honesty, integrity, and trust. The disciplines in the field of teams are alignment, engagement, and collective learning. But now we get all the way out to the enterprise field, and I say, it's the same as in the field of self. Are the leaders of this organization sufficiently aware of the inner state of the organization? Do they know what the culture is? Do they know how people feel? Do they know how the level of trust? Do they take, do they see the, the choices available, and do they make the most effective choices for the organization as a whole? And do they take accountability for the results of those choices? And if you look at some of the organizations in the past several years that have had enormous public fiascos, like Volkswagen with their emissions scandal, mm -hmm. you can look at those leaders and you can say they were not aware of the inner state of the organization. They did not make effective choices and they declined to take accountability for the results of those choices. Mm-hmm. So I think this notion of spirituality is not just in the field of self, it's in each one of the fields. Mm -hmm. Scientists talk about um, superorganisms. So they say a beehive is a superorganism. It's actually an organism as a hive. I believe an interpersonal relationship is a superorganism with an intelligence and wisdom of its own, likewise a team and likewise an enterprise. This is all, um, I want to use the word profound, um, mm -hmm. insightful. Um, 
and again, you you've been talking about the different fields, so I don't we don't need to go any deeper on those. They're going to have to buy the book for goodness sakes, Tom. <laughs> you know, they need to buy the book to get the rest of the story if they will. Absolutely. <laughs> you Absolutely. know, so so the book <laughs> title again is the four fields of leadership: how people and organizations can thrive in a hyperconnected world. And those words, hyperconnected world, are important. And I too have seen the results of some of the things you've talked about in the book, and uh, that's why I'm in, I'm in alignment with you, and and I, and I think it works just really great. So again, Tom Godell has been our guest. He is the founder of Linden Leadership Incorporated. You can go to their website, which is lindenleadership.com. I certainly want you to buy the book. But to wrap up, Tom, there may be something I didn't ask you, or something you want to close with to make sure that uh, we're getting your points across that you want to get uh, across in our, to our uh, business audience. Yeah. Thanks, Marty. I would say um, the book sometimes as we talk about it can sound complex. There is a lot of rich thinking in it, but fundamentally it's all pretty simple. If people manage their interstate well, they will form effective relationships with each other. Those are two of the characteristics of great leaders, the ability to self-manage, the ability to form great relationships. If they can do those things and they follow the disciplines in the four fields, they will be able to create passionate teams organized around shared purpose that perform at just superb levels of excellence. If they do that across the entire organization, they create a culture, a field culture of leadership. One of the insights I had writing the book is that the four fields of leadership are also the four fields of culture. When leaders follow these fields, these disciplines, and bring them out to the people in their companies, powerful, vibrant, thriving cultures emerge. Well, I said at the very beginning, this is a different and deeper look at the topic of leadership. And I believe, saying it again, this is a very unique and insightful look at the topic of leadership. I strongly recommend the book. Um, you will be th acting, thinking and acting differently with your teams. And I'm, I'm confident, very confident this can make a difference. So, Tom, thank you so much for being part of the Business Builder Show. Thank you, Marty. This has been a real pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Business Builders Show on the Business Builders Media Network. Find all our shows and many other great podcasts at businessbuildersmedia.com. That's businessbuildersmedia.com.